Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. My name is James Johnson and I'm here with my co-host, Elizabeth Shaby. Elizabeth, we have a special guest in the studio today, somebody who's been on the show many, many times, climbing the stairs all the way from the administrative hallway, the Reverend Dr. Joffrey Rogers. There you go. Got it on the second round through, <laughs> except for the name. You got the order right. It's not Joffrey? Uh, well, you know, I mean... We can talk about Game of Thrones if you want, but uh, we should do a Game of Thrones Advent devotional. I'm gonna go. <laughs> we are, folks. This is like our talk about third the political image of God. Oh, we fun. do have an election coming up. Whoa, okay. there's a lot of crossovers here. Wow, Man, we are just pulling it all in today. Looks We're like hot. the Marvel universe. We are coming in <laughs> hot today. Watch out, uh, friends. Watch out. <laughs> Jeff, <If you're... laughs> we are. We're here to talk about. The Advent devotional this if year here lucky. at Northside Church. Uh, who knows what we'll actually talk about, but we are here to talk know. about kenosis uh, and uh, the season of Advent and what it means for the church, what it means for Northside Church, and what we have going on here at uh, Northside Church. So let me start, Jeff, by Please. asking you, uh, how you doing, man? How's your Advent started off? Advent is great. You know, one thing that happens in Advent is the the world has created Advent and as the 25 days leading up to Christmas. Yes, yes, it has. It's incorrect, and I like to tell my family that, and they don't care. <laughs> you can tell us. So, yeah, this is a safe space. So, uh, but... Wait, so you're saying Advent is not the 25 days that lead up to Christmas. Well, this is a great teaching opportunity. Thanks for serving because it up. that slowly. is what I was taught. At Candler School. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> wow. Uh, between the two of us, we have, what, four By degrees? Dr. Bon Filio. <laughs> wow. Shout right. out. He's Shout an Old out. Testament guy. He doesn't know anything about Advent. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So, obviously, it's the four Sundays before Christmas. Right. Uh, right right now. Advent. But this year, we have a little bit of a... Uh, it's a little bit of a quandary. Christmas Eve is, is on a the, Sunday. And so, makes it Christmas the fourth Eve week is the fourth Christ, Sunday. Advent. Right. It's not the... So, this is the shortest four Advent Sundays. we can have. It's, it's pretty short. Yeah. It's pretty short. I, I know a church uh, of, of somebody that I'm affiliated with that has actually expanded Advent a whole week uh, and they started it a week before. The, this my Sunday school class asked if we could have just started Advent. And I last said week. that that is one of the most heretical. I mean, you things. might be overstepping there. You think that's too strong? The I most mean, I, heretical I, to start Advent a week early. I take Advent very seriously. This is very. This is the beginning of the church year, man. You don't get to move New Year's up a week, do you? <laughs> no, you don't. Okay, all right. That's not the most important thing. <laughs> In my calendar, if, if you did, though, you'd be a week off the rest of the year, wouldn't you? It would be a nightmare showing up to meetings <laughs> exactly. the wrong so week. You could be. You 52 could. weeks. <laughs> it could actually be the worst thing you could do. So, all my point being, look, you're right. It's the four Sundays before Christmas, and that's how we do it here at Northside Church, and that's how they've been doing it since Jesus was born. That's exactly that's, it. The then, church began in the year 34. <laughs> C E or A D. 
uh, you know, anyway, so anyway, back to yes. how am I doing? How's, how's your advent going? We got 25 days before Christmas. I call it a Christmas countdown normally, even okay. though everybody else calls it an advent calendar, and then they don't know what I'm talking about. So we have our uh, Lego Christmas countdown that we have oh, cool. going on. Somebody gave it to Carson, uh, my four-year-old son. What does that involve? Uh, every day, you lift up a little panel, and there's a bag of Legos in it, and it creates uh, a scene, and he loves getting a different lego piece oh that's really cool it's honestly amazing because i'm like you can't open up your legos until you get dressed and brushed your teeth oh nice Uh and that's normally a very long process but with the lego carrot you know it's uh man he is flying in the morning (laughs) i love it you need to create like a whole like 365 day calendar where he gets legos every day you know i have toyed with that idea uh, Legos no are well. Very yeah. nice. Legos are expensive, and that's a lot. You know, you can get the cheap knockoff ones that I got mm-hmm. when I was a kid that don't match up with Legos and really don't match up with each other most of the time. What the heck? <laughs> it's just like I think it was just like rocks from the yard that we just piled up with each other and knock them down. Did you also stick. walk both hills up uphill both ways in the snow <laughs> to school every day? I did. I, when I went to school. I did. Yeah, let's just talk about childhood trauma for a little bit. <laughs> let's do it. Let's go. I bet I got you both beat. All right. So. All right. What about the Advent devotional? <laughs> I don't know. You were going to tell us something about Advent. Yeah, he wanted to talk about the calendar. He did. I, I, do you yeah, have anything yeah, yeah. else you would like to add? I no, heard I feel uh, like there's a rumor on the street. There's a rumor on the street, Jeff, that you have an artificial Christmas tree this year. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> that's not a rumor on the street. That's a uh, that's truth. That's a sign on the street. It is pre lit. It has oh, wow. six oh, different light settings. That you have. That's not Christmas. Okay, tell me Folks, how that's not Christmas. Judgy McJudges a lot over uh, here. Look, look, first of all, you you I'm seem to have a very a fast and loose understanding of, of what Christmas. <laughs> a tree of books. <laughs> and you're coming at me because my. But it's a tree, tree of books. But look, it has John Wesley and Kierkegaard. It's made up of theology books, first of all, books that talk about God. So this is, might be the most Christmas tree of all Christmas trees. I'm just saying it makes the definition of tree a little bit more loosey goosey. <laughs> Yeah, but I had to put that together. I didn't just pull it out of a closet and press a button. You think those Christmas. artificial trees just put themselves together? <laughs> you think that middle piece just stacks look, itself? Look, every on the base? year I go out into the wilderness and I find the perfect tree. And then I immediately go to a tree lot and find one that matches it and buy that tree. <laughs> God almighty. <laughs> there are six different light settings on my tree. It's delightful. My wife likes the white lights. My son likes the colored lights. That's a great debate. Colored lights or white yeah, lights. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do they um, sprinkle or sprinkle? They well, flash? That's, that's setting uh, six, okay, right? Okay. You can get it so it flashes back Can you and turn forth. them all on at one time, or does it well, have to go one way or the other? Right. All I white mean, or all, all colored? Uh, oh, you know what I'm saying? One at a time. One at a time, okay. But it can flash back and I mean, forth. That's pretty if you cool. To, yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, now, are you a tinsel guy or not tinsel guy? Oh, we do not have tinsel. Yeah. I would obviously just never do a tinsel. That would be a permanent part of your life if you do tinsel. Yeah. I'd, I'd, we used to have these little icicles, glass icicles, but... I have those. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mix with two-year-olds well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> I remember when uh, <laughs> when I brought home a Christmas tree when Kiefer was like 18 months old, and I brought the tree into the house, and she was overwhelmed 
with like why are you bring the tree inside? Why would like you bring she literally outside she was inside. Like, why? Why exactly? That's exactly you right. Read yeah. the devotional last year. <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh, Long man. time listener. Yeah. First time reader. <laughs> First. Uh, <laughs> probably the opposite. Um. Anyway, all right. So this this Advent we are talking about the theological term kenosis, which um, Bill made a point of of saying it's like one of the first words you learn in seminary. I'm curious as to whether or not that's true for you. Like, do you remember when you learned about kenosis? I feel like kenosis is one of those, you know, I took Greek in my undergrad Mm -hmm. and uh, it was... Me too. We have that in common. It was Attic Greek. So it wasn't Koine Greek, which the New Testament's in. Uh, So what we read were like the Greek myths Uh and stuff. So... uh, the Greek that I learned were not the theologically loaded yeah. terms of it. Yeah. So words like kenosis are more, they're kind of specialized Greek words. You yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. not your, your regular yeah, syntax kind of. Absolutely. In fact, the word kenosis doesn't actually appear uh, in the Bible. It, it's the word kino, which is a, a derived from kenosis, right? Or kino, like the game you can play at the gas station. It's basically the same thing. Well, it means to empty, and Kino generally empties your wallet. So, <laughs> Amazing connection. I didn't know how you do it. No. Um, but no, you're right about that. So you're, you're saying, so you took, uh, you took like actual classical Greek instead yeah. of the Koine Greek. At uh, University of Georgia. Did That's you, all they offered. Did you find that helpful at all when you were studying? So, I mean, did I you did, ever get to Koine Greek or... I did three semesters of Greek, but it would be like, it was like twice as much class time per semester because it was, that's just how languages are sometimes. Yeah. Um, and by the end of all of that, I was like, all right, let me, let me sit down with some translations and, and really start to study all this. And I started looking at the, the Greek texts and multiple different translations side by side. And I thought to myself, yeah, these, these people have done a really good job. <laughs> I don't need to add to this conversation. <laughs> I was like, my level of Greek right. is not greater than these translators. <laughs> right, right. I was like, what am I? What am I doing? I mean, here? That's fair. That's fair. I've spent so many hours studying this. I and, spent uh, I spent years learning uh, Koine Greek, and uh, I really enjoyed hard. it. Like, I really enjoyed it. The fact that you know you can learn like you learn like. 200 words and you've got like 80% of the New Testament because there's a limited pool of words you're pulling from, right? But I, I loved, I loved in the translation piece. Like, like that was, that was fun for me, but you're right. Like you're never going to be better than this panel of a hundred experts. Right, right, <laughs> right. Put together the NIV or something. It is neat because I, I bought a, a new Greek New Testament and it has a, a glossary in the back yeah. with all the normal terms and every term that's not in that glossary will be a footnote and yeah. you really don't need footnotes that often yeah. because it's such a small pool of words that yeah. they're really using what about you elizabeth are you going to take any greek in your seminary degree oh i'm fluent in the greek <laughs> <laughs> people are really curious about our uh, mastery of language so i'm glad we had this opportunity <laughs> I find that stuff fascinating. I'm sorry. All right. So kenosis then. Kenosis means to empty. It's the activity of emptying. We only find it one time in the New Testament. It happens in the Philippians chapter 2 passage when uh, Paul, quoting a, a, one of the first hymns of the church, uh, maybe the earliest piece of Christian writing that we have, 
uh, quotes this hymn where it says that Jesus Christ emptied himself of being God or the form of God. And that's really what we focus on this week, uh, the first of the first week in Advent, is the image of God or the form of God that we see in Jesus Christ. So let's start our conversation there today. Uh, uh, as we get into um, this topic, what does it mean to be the image of God? Let me start with that question. What do you guys think? There's been a lot of theological writing on this topic for uh, for yeah. many years, right? And I mean, of course, we know that it comes from the one passage in Genesis, right? Um, which is not a lot of theological weight as far as scripture goes, yeah. right? But right. carries a lot of a theological lot. significance, I guess, yeah. um, which is an interesting reality as it is, uh, as it pertains to our life as Christians. You know, we always are trying to get back to the image of God. We connect it to all kinds of other aspects of right. scripture and you can. you can, I mean, that's appropriate, uh, but it but is it carrying just, a lot of weight. It just doesn't show up that often as we read right. through the Bible. Um, I mean, I would not be a good Methodist pastor if I didn't say that John Wesley had three versions of the image of God, the Let's natural, the natural, uh, the political and the moral image of God. Where does mm. this come from? It comes from John Wesley's sermon, New Birth. Mm. Uh, most of Wesley's theology came from sermons. He didn't sit down and write something. He was not a systematic right? Uh, so it's it's a different and his way. His sermons of are long and very boring for the most part, and almost unreadable. Well, I don't think they're meant to be. I think he that was an outline for him. Right. I oh, okay. imagine he was an extemporaneous preacher, and yeah. that was kind of like the points that he would have. Okay. Um, that makes more sense. I, I don't know if I can't heard that or if I just made it up or or what. Just so. say it with confidence, and people will think. And there you go. Yeah, that's the truth. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so the 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 natural being that we're spiritual beings that we have this kind of free will sense, yeah. Um, the political being that we can uh, govern, that we have relationships over with each other and mm -hmm. over the creation, um, and moral being that we're supposed to grow in holiness, right? Okay. So, yeah. so even theolo you know, theologians that were not systemic had these ideas or systematic had these ideas of what it meant to be created in the image of God yeah. um, and connected it to Christ. But that phrase really only shows up the one time in all of scripture. Well, in, in, in the way that it's used in Genesis, that's the only, that's really the only place that it's kind of used in that way in the old Testament. Now, when you get to the new Testament, you got, you start to see some more image imagery language or image language but nothing that's quite like that that directs back to that, uh, as I recall. Right. Nothing I can think of off the top I, of my head. I can't think of anything else, right? So in this passage in Philippians 2, it talks about having the mind of Christ, mm -hmm. right? Which is not being formed in the image of God, but it's basically the same yeah. concept, right? Would you all agree with that? The, well, um, I don't know, because I, I don't know, again, without having some kind of content for that idea of the image of God, it's hard to just connect those two. I don't think you could say, I don't think you can say that we as humanity were created in the mind of Christ or to have the mind of Christ. Like uh, that, that's a, uh, okay, okay. you know what I'm saying? So I don't know. They're not interchangeable terms, I guess. Is not one-to-one. -one. I was thinking if you strive to have the mind of Christ, yeah. you will probably be formed in the, image, the image of God. Of God. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. So basically this idea that there's a, 
there's a prime example out there and we're trying to get to that thing right basically that's that's kind of what i'm picking up is that because he doesn't talk about the image of god but he just talk about the form of god here which is fairly a uh, fairly similar idea concept right because he talks about jesus who being in the form of god did not consider equality with god as something to be grasped right so that form that graphe is the word there in the greek uh, that graphe or that, that form, that image is another way that I've seen that translated. So, um, we're definitely talking about Jesus Christ, who is the full image of God or the form of God, who then empties himself of that. Okay. Here's a fun rabbit hole. If before Jesus was Jesus in the form that we have experienced Jesus, right. Or we read about in scripture, yeah, he was in this form of God implying that, right. It's the word, it's this godlike being right before he comes to earth and is in this flesh being that we know him as but that's the form of god where he didn't consider equality with god to be something to be exploited right but then we're made in the image of god so like you get this this image of jesus where he starts out one way and then kind of becomes something else but that something else is like what we are but we're created in the image of god that kind of that's kind of confusing does that make sense what i'm asking yeah i think so so we're already like, created in this image of God, Jesus, but so is Jesus, but now he's something different, and that different thing looks like us. So what does it mean for us to be right. created in the image of God? Well, first, firstly, I think uh, Scripture is mostly in agreement on this, that Jesus, uh, as, as the form of God or the Word of God, was not created, right? So he just is God. And so, but I understand what like, your your oh, question is. Your question is like he had the form of God. He empties himself of the form of God to and become no a human being that, that is the image of God. Right. Oh, that that is an interesting. A little bit of a circular. That humans were made in the image of, in the image of God. But I guess you would say that Jesus, unlike every other human, actually was the fullness of the image of God in human right. form. Yeah. Right. We're trying to be. Like Jesus was as the image, uh, you know. Right. Well, I got there in my brain. I don't think it came out of my mouth. Though. Sometimes it's hard to get that out. I, I I would say that what it means to be human is to be created as the image of God. Uh, and what Jesus shows us uh, during it, from his birth through his death is what it actually means to be human. In other words, what it means to be the image of God. What we are is less than human. Like what we are is fallen short of what we're created to be, what we're designed to be. So you can use the word, when I'm using the word human as a theological term here instead of a biological term, it's not a classification of a kind of animal. It is, is what we are in essence and what we've been created to be human. Human means to be created as the image of God. Again, that's that's shifting a lot of weight onto what's happening there in Genesis chapter one. But I think one of the one of the ways to understand what's happening in Genesis chapter one is to is to read Genesis chapter one um, in the way that it's kind of designed to be read, which I think is as a temple liturgy. Like it's designed to be read as the dedication for a temple. It oh, has wait, the, what? it has the same structure as an ancient temple liturgy. Like so, if you were creating a temple to Zeus. And you you would have a liturgical kind of reading or dedication of that temple, and part of the last thing that you would do for that temple is to put the image of Zeus in that temple as the image of Zeus, and his that that whole first chapter. A lot of people want to read it as history, or they want to read it as whatever, but it's designed and has the structure of a temple liturgy in the sense of like God is creating a temple. In other words, all of creation is God's temple, 
And he has set humanity as his image, as the image of God in that temple. And that's, that is what's happening there in Genesis chapter 1. So it, it kind of sets humanity apart as something sacred, as a representative of God on earth. Because he then gives God, he then gives humanity the authority and power to rule over creation, to be stewards of creation, and and then it shifts toward the Adam and Eve story, which is a completely different tradition and different story. But if you think about that as being the image of God, hmm. does that add anything to? Well, and the great problem that humans ran into throughout the whole story in the Old Testament was that they created other things to be the image right. of God. That's exactly right. Right? And so over and over again, the people forget what should really be in this temple. Yes. Right? What it means to be a follower of God um, and, and to be faithful, to put God before anything else in their life. Right? Right. Um, and so one of the great things about Advent and Jesus showing up as the... I'm going to say the fulfillment of the image of God yeah, I like that. is that finally we have the, the thing that we've been looking for yeah. as people. We should have been able to just follow God, but we could not. So you look through the story of the Old Testament, and it's really the story of how people cannot live into the image that God has given them. They cannot right. follow right. the law that God has given them. Right. Um, they are not a faithful people, but God is a faithful God. Right. Um, and it ends and, you know, uh, they've returned to the temple, but they've kind of realized that it doesn't have to just be about this one place because right. they figured out how to live in exile. Yeah. Um, and then somewhere in the mix, Jesus shows up and is the image of God. Uh, for the for the world yeah. to see. Yeah. I like that. And that's kind of goes along with um with what we've been exploring on Wednesday night around here. We've been talking about the Israel Palestinian conflict on Wednesday nights here and and mostly what what we've done with that is um because I'm not in any way an expert in uh social politics or the politics of, of whatever's happening, you know, over there. There's so much there's so much going on so many layers of it. Uh, the one thing that I can do is talk about the Bible a little bit. And so, and so we've been digging into and diving into some of the biblical themes that are related to that conflict. And one of those things is exactly what you were just talking about, which is that Jesus shows up as, as the fulfillment of the image of God for sure, but also as the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of all the promises of God the fulfillment of the promise of the land, the all of these things, all of that related back to, again, that the, the the story that's being outlined for us that starts all the way back in Genesis chapter one, right? Where it is, this is the, this is ultimately the story of a God who desperately wants to be in relationship with all humanity, right? I mean, that's or maybe even all creation. It's not even just humanity; it's all creation. Uh, and then, and then, Jesus, the birth of Jesus Christ, uh, this kind of this thing that God does, where God empties God's self of being God in order to become one of us. Is really the ultimate step that God can take to be in relationship with us, right? Right. I mean, there's no, we were unable to be fully in relationship with God without Jesus. Yeah. 
there are a lot of ways we could. We just continually messed up. Right. 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 You can't be in relationship with God without Jesus. That's what the Old Testament's about. We fail yeah. at that yeah. continuously. Um, and so I think, sorry, my brain was also going through. There's another aspect that I want to talk about. I want to. Yeah. I thought about the Sermon on the Mount okay. all of a sudden as you were talking about. Um because Jesus kind of shows up mm-hmm. and is fulfilling the law. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, of all teachings, uh, Sermon on the Mount is kind of, this is really how to live it out. Right. In my opinion, you want to be created in the image of God, live out the Sermon on the Mount. You'll be right. pretty close. <laughs> it's, it's great that you mentioned that because we are for Lent, we are doing the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are going to shape our entire Lenten uh, reflection as a way of being restored in the image of God. So, uh, that's that. a good connection. Well, well, beatitudes are about emptying yourself, right? Right. Well, it starts with being poor in spirit, right? Being poor in self. I mean, and then it moves forward from there uh, until you're finally a peacemaker. Uh, and that's really, I mean, that's really what I think. What we see, what we see in Jesus Christ, that mind of Christ that Paul is talking about here. You know, if you go back to that Philippians passage, he is trying. Paul is trying to teach the Philippians how to be a church, how to be in relationship with each other, how to be a community. Uh, and he says that in order to do that, you have to look out for the interest of others above your own. You have to value other people more than you value yourself. Those are the two things he says right, right up front. How do you do that? You have the mind that was in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. In other words, you have the same way of seeing and understanding the world, seeing and understanding other people, and acting in that world. Who you know, Even though he was God, he emptied himself in order to be in relationship. In other words, God put our interests above his interests and valued us above himself in order to become one of us and be in relationship with us. And that's, I mean, that's the ultimate way that we can show love to each other. Right. I mean, when you are thinking about someone else's interests instead of your own. Yeah. Yeah. Then you can truly be in relationship with, with somebody else. Maybe the only way you can do it. If you enter into any relationship, you know, Mm -hmm. relationship with a sibling Uh or a significant other or your kids or a, anyone and you if, and your primary driver is what can i get out of this right that's not a genuine it's relationship not at all. right yeah that's not going to end somewhere healthy right 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 when you enter into a relationship and you say how can i serve this person yeah how can i get on their level and, and care for their needs yeah um, and consider what what's important to them and i, I think that attitude uh that mind that mind of christ is so important um, in, in like an everyday aspect in all of our relationships. But what if we had like, if, if we had that mindset just coming to church on Sunday mornings, if we just had to pick one hour, right? Sure. Just when we come to church on Sunday morning, if we showed up thinking, how can I serve other people today at this church? Rather than showing up being like, I wonder what I'm going to get out of worship today or I wonder what I'm going to get out of Sunday school today. Because that's a lot of times, you know, even I'm like that, you know, like that that's, you know, I show up and, and I'm like, well, what, what am I going to get out of, of serving today or whatever? But when you really think about, you know, if you really had that mindset of what, how can I empty myself today? Mm. What just in this little time period that I'm here at the church, you know, obviously it should be way more than that, but a place to start. Well, people talk so often about filling up their own cup, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. And, and we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sometimes we just try to pour that on top of a cup that's already full of ourselves. Well, I th- yeah. <laughs> All right. I there mean, you go. I think we missed the point of what it means to be filled up. 
I mean, that's always been my problem. Like you hear all these things about, you know, what does it mean to take care of yourself or to be filled? And it, the conversation stops there. So it's, am I filled or am I not? How can I get filled up? Okay, cool. But the point, it goes back to that whole blessed to be a blessing thing. Like you're not just blessed. Okay, neat. Cool. God said you, you know, I'm here to help you do good. That's not, it doesn't stop there. It's so that, you know, you are blessed to be a blessing. You are filled up so that you can then go out. It's that whole enter to worship, exit to serve thing, right? Yeah. Like you don't just come to worship to be filled up to go back to your regular life. You come to worship to be filled up so that you can serve others, yeah. you know, like it's God has a purpose for you being filled. And, you know, and then I, so I think that, and I think approaching it from that way changes the conversation too, you know, it's. And maybe that is like the emptying. It's like, I'm not going into this activity, whatever it is that I'm doing with the intent to be filled up. I'm not doing it so that I can feel good is I'm doing it so that I can be a servant to God in the best way possible. Yeah. And and of course people walk into worship in different places, right? I mean, some people, sometimes you need, you have different needs, right? right. But the amazing thing about God is that God meets us wherever we are. That's right. Right. That's right. I think that's what this kenosis passage is all about, right? God meeting us where we are. Uh, I mean, it's literally God becoming one of us. Um, I mean, so, I mean, we could talk about kenosis, Philippians and uh, Genesis, uh, the Beatitudes. Uh, I know you talk about different characters in the nativity story um, or the Advent story, particularly in this devotional book. Um, I do. Any, any, <laughs> I mean, should we start with any of them? Talk about any of those folks? Well, this week, uh, the focus is on the, 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 the character that we have focused on is John the Baptist. So that would be where we would go with the conversation this week. John the Baptist is great. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, what do you think about John the Baptist? I, I mean, I am thinking because in our disciple class, we just read... Uh, you know, we've read a lot of prophets yeah. and there's a lot of expectation about, okay, what does it mean when Isaiah says there's a voice in the wilderness, uh-huh. right? And then John the Baptist li- lives into that. Uh, but then later in Jesus' ministry, people are saying, is Jesus John the Baptist? Is Jesus the one Isaiah was talking about? Yeah. Um, I mean, we had a conversation about this in my Sunday school class as well. And people get kind of confused about some of this these symbols yeah um well i will say that i think john the baptist is one of the most underappreciated underread kind of under least understood of of all the characters that have that that show up i I don't feel like people we don't spend a lot of time talking or thinking about him what Mm. his purpose was what he was like what he maybe thought about this whole thing there are many passages not many there are a few passages where even john's like i'm not sure jesus is the guy like i don't i don't know is he or is he not i don't know and yet this is the guy who like baptized Jesus. Right. And so there's a level of like, um, there's a level of curiosity about John, the, the character of John the Baptist and like, what is, what is he up to? What is actually going on there? I think that, is that what well, you Well, really... and I think there's just like some confusion uh, because he seems to play multiple roles at yeah. once. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I guess what I've been trying to teach folks is that, something in the Bible can have multiple meanings, right? Yes. A symbol can represent yes. different things uh-huh. and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I think oftentimes we try to like pinpoint just one meaning for one symbol or one person. Yeah. Um, and just try to understand the Bible. Like it's a decoded message. Right. Um, and we, we should definitely try to avoid that. But I will say that there's a way, like there's a purpose behind what John is doing. Sure. And what he's saying. 
what are some of the other ways like what are some of the ways in which john's ministry or his character or his his message have of meaning for you or for the people in your class like what i i guess it was because we were talking about elijah and maybe maybe elijah is a more complicated figure yeah right because we were talking about transfiguration in class and so is john the baptist elijah or is jesus elijah being the fulfillment of the prophets Uh or is it the announcement of the next prophet yeah um and I, so I just like the idea of being a little bit more flexible with our sure. interpretations of of things. But um, there is a right and wrong understanding. Well, well, there's at certain times there's there's understandings that don't do justice or grow from the text organically, right? So we got to be careful with that. I, I would I'm I fair I hope that I do this, um, but I'm I'm very careful when I teach any of these texts to to say, look, this is the way I'm reading it. Uh, there are many other ways to read this sure. and, and, you know, allow the Holy Spirit to move in that. And I, I would never, I would hope that I would never be arrogant enough to say this is the definitive interpretation of who John the Baptist is and what he's doing. Like pinning things down like that is where you get into that kind of expectational blindness that the Pharisees had and why they couldn't see Jesus mm. as the Messiah, right? Because they had pinned down what it was the Messiah was going to be. Um, and I think you can do the same thing with John the Baptist, Right. And, I, and, and what's fascinating about that is that this is the exact same problem that the people of Jesus' time were having with John the Baptist and with Jesus, right? When Jesus asked his disciples in Mark chapter 8, like, who do the people say that I am? They're like, well, some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're John the Baptist. You know, some right, say that you're this right. guy and that guy. Um, and so there, that kind of confusion is where God is working to bring, you know, identity and, and revelation, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I think for sure. Um, this isn't a new a new problem by any right, stretch of the right. imagination. <laughs> Your um, disciple class has stumbled into something new. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, and I think there's comfort in that, though. Right. Right. But I think, you know, uh, I also try to help folks look for patterns throughout mm-hmm. scripture. Oh, that's good. Right. That's good, and yeah. in Isaiah, it's it's announcing that something is coming. Yes. Right. And and. God's people have been looking for something to come. They've been expecting somebody like Moses. They've been looking for a king. The yeah. prophets are mm-hmm. looking for the the new temple or whatever yeah. it's going to be. Um, and so here we are hearing that Jesus is going to come from John the Baptist. And so it's a pattern yeah. that God has used before. Like something is coming. Look for God's coming. Right. Um, right. That's good. I like the whole pattern idea. It's really good. I mean, it, the whole pattern thing is, is interesting, kind of where we started this conversation talking about, you know, we don't see this language about the image of God in a whole lot of places, but it crops back up in something like the mind of Christ. So, and in the Beatitudes, right, we see this, you know, that's not a strict pattern, but it's a theme, it's an echo throughout scripture of what it means to be this form, be this image, this right. creature, this created thing from God, Um well, and one of the things that I that I've kind of realized as I've reflected on this over the past couple of years is is thinking about the image of God and kenosis together, and then just thinking about what the image of God means in that Genesis chapter one passage is that the image of God is not it's not a picture, and we think of image of being a, like a painting or a photograph, yeah. like an image. Uh, the image of God is an activity, like it's a movement. It's a it's a way of being in the world. It's not just a static understanding of God. It's 
It's a dynamic kind of uh, activity of God, right? And so, because God's relational, right? Exactly, right? Yeah, right. And even within God's self, God is a relationship, right? Mm. If we think about the Trinity as that way. So there's this level of like, what does it mean to be the image of God? Or if, where if you're talking to Wesley and you're like, well, what does it mean to be restored in the image of God and be truly right. sanctified? Like perfect love of God right? yeah, and yeah. neighbor, right? So what does that actually mean? It means an activity. It means doing something, mm-hmm. right? It means love. It means uh, emptying yourself. Uh, it means becoming radically humble or uh, taking on that humility that is that is willing to care about other people above yourself. And of course, we're supposed to believe correctly, right? But it seems that that there being right action, yeah, um, is primary. Yeah, between I would the think two. so, right? And I think that's a good way to say it because I think right action is more important than right belief, right thought. I think a lot of times right thought is what leads to right action. So I, I think they're connected. I don't want to disconnect them. Right. No, I mean they definitely. It's a a cycle, mm-hmm. right? One mm-hmm. feeds into the other. It's a feedback loop. Yeah. I will say maybe this is just the place I'm in right now. It is hard. I mean, it's hard to be alive, you know, like it's just, (laughs) you know, you talk about this image of God, right? We're supposed to be like Jesus. And, you know, we have this book of a lot of words that tells us what Jesus is like. And, you know, hopefully we've seen what Jesus is like through experiences and relationships and all that stuff. But that, that pattern seems a lot quieter and a lot harder to discern than the pattern of all these humans that we are constantly walking around this earth with, you know, like you're a pattern, you're a pattern. There's patterns all around me. These living manifestations of these patterns. And, you know, it's hard not to pick up patterns from these imperfect people around us, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, like you just really, really have to be steeped in this, yeah, this story that we've been given as disciples, you know, to, discern that i think it's the age-old question of like how do you live in the world but not be of the world you know it's like how do you do uh an advent calendar that's just actually a countdown to christmas right i mean (laughs) right you know you you said that at the beginning and i remember wherever i was whatever store i was in recently and it had like harry potter advent calendar (laughs) right candy cane ad coffee advent calendar right it's like all the things i'm like i just found myself standing there staring at this stuff and i'm like Harry Potter, that's not an advent calendar. Although they do celebrate Easter and Harry Potter. They have Easter holiday. And so there's people that are like, it's of the devil. It's like, how do you, why are they celebrating (laughs) Easter? Anyways, sidebar. But you know, it's the, it's, it's a countdown to Christmas, right? Like just call it what it is. Like, I don't know this, this language thing is, I guess that's another thing too, right? I'm sorry. I cut you off. Um, This world tells us. This is Advent. Here, have 25 days of, well, I don't know, whatever it was, Harry Potter quotes, gingerbread, ginger beer samples, I, I don't know, little tiny wands. I don't know what was in that calendar, but whatever it was, like, and I'm not trying to pick on Harry Potter. There was like 15 calendars. They were all on other random stuff that I saw in the store. But, okay, so the world is now telling me that 25 days of doing whatever this is is Advent. Right. <laughs> you know, like that's hard to like so, sift through all that garbage. So what's better to take away the idea <laughs> of Advent, like as a term and just call it a countdown to Christmas and forget about that pattern at all? Or at least keep the language. I, I mean, it's a genuine question. I mean, I, you get you get upset about the, the Advent thing, but they've been doing that with Christmas for hundreds of years. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like the world's right. been co-opting Christmas I guess so, I guess I, I mean Christianity co-opted Christmas from from the pagans so I don't know. I mean I guess I'm just having an issue with like how 
again, this is just where I'm at right now. This is, I had my last New Testament class last night. So, and I got some oh, challenging in information and I'm just like trying to processing. It's but fresh. I'm, where I am right now is. She just learned that Jesus is alive. This world says a lot of things. <laughs> like we talk about a lot of things. We use these very Jesus-y religious words and this language and you grow up hearing it. Not everyone does, but you know, like you grow up hearing it and there's so much hearing it and not enough seeing it that the words don't mean anything. Yeah. Right. And so then suddenly you're at a place where, I don't know, just a hypothetical example, you're 32 years old and you hear someone say Jesus is alive. Ask someone asks you if Jesus is alive or dead. And you're not really sure how to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Because you've heard all your life that Jesus is alive, but I don't know what that means. Yeah. Right. You've, you know, the other rest of the time you told me he's dead. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, and you just, it's just this language that we hear over and over again. And I'm not, I'm not really sure what to make of it. Right. So what is Advent? What does it mean to empty yourself? Forgive me. This is where I am right now. So y'all can take it. You can ignore me. Well, you can no, cut this out. I think, uh, let me, let me just say real no, quick. I think that's like, a good question. I think it's great. I think what you have, <laughs> I think what you're speaking to is exactly what the problem is with a lot, a lot of what a lot of people feel during the season of Christmas when people start to talk about, well, we need to bring Jesus back into Christmas, the reason for the season and all this other stuff. I think it's all related to the same thing, which is, and this is maybe getting too hot prophetic or whatever, but the fact is that, that people don't know if Jesus is alive. They don't know what to do with the language of Christmas, the true language of Christmas and Jesus, because the church has failed to live into a space that demonstrates and shines the fact that Jesus is alive and resurrected and, and living among us. Like, we have failed to be the church, and so the world does not know what the church or what Jesus is. Like we have failed to be the city on the hill. Mm-hmm. We have put the light under a bush. We have not taught and lived, you know, that right action. We have not practiced kenosis. We have not done these things. We, what we have done is become completely absorbed by the rhetoric of the world and lived into a practicing of the world. And so it it it, it should be confusing to us to use language that we don't actually live into and doesn't have any meaning. You know, when you start to talk about Advent and Christmas and what this actually means, if you don't have any kind of lived experience, you don't have any real meaning. You're like changing the rules of how those words are worked. In some sense, you're trying to play baseball on a football field and it doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. Well, I think uh, um, there are a lot of people who get to a point where they're 32 and they don't know if Jesus is alive and they think, but then all of a sudden they start having a family and they're like, okay, well now I'm responsible for these other humans. And I think it's probably important that right. I teach them something about Jesus. Um, so you but, teach them Jesus is alive and then they don't know what that means either. Right. Uh, well, <laughs> is that where you're going with that? <laughs> Cause that's what I'm hearing. Sorry. Well, I do think there's a world where, you know, it's it's important for us as adults to start to understand what it means to live out our faith so that we yeah. can teach the next others and the next generation uh, about it. But if we don't have that experience, if we can't work on it for ourselves, then it is going to be kind of a, a mysterious message because we say, yes, Jesus is the reason for the season. Um, and I can't tell you a lot about what that means, <laughs> but I can tell you a whole lot about Harry Potter. In fact, I can explain all 25 items leading up <laughs> right, to, exactly. to Christmas. Right. And that's, exactly. that, that gets to the problem. But now, now, Jeff, you're getting into, and this connects exactly with what you're talking about, Elizabeth, because 
this gets to the heart of what John Wesley was all about, mm-hmm. which is that it has to that Jesus has to be alive for you personally. It has to be an experience of Jesus Christ in that relationship. That's what makes it real. That's what gives everything else meaning. And without that experience, it's all dead. I mean, John Wesley was an Anglican priest for like 12 years before he had that experience, his heart strangely warmed and whatever. And it was interesting because last week I preached on the Transfiguration yeah, and, and talked about how it was this powerful experience yeah. for the disciples. And so we I start, talked with some folks about, you know, what was that experience for you? And so many people would say, you know, like I always think about youth retreats Mm -hmm. growing up and that is you know like a lot of us say like we're on the mountaintop we're on a on a student ministry retreat right right? that's Mm -hmm. a that's a common experience not one for everybody um but you don't really have that experience as an adult and so what does it mean to really experience god in a powerful real way as as an adult what is a way to experience Christ during the season of Advent, to truly know that he is born and alive and resurrected and present among us. Like, what is a way to make Advent and Christmas have true meaning in our relationship with God? You know, I think the answer to that is what Paul's trying to say in Philippians chapter 2, which is, uh, give me just a second. Let me pull it up. Because I think this is actually really... The, what he says at the beginning of the chapter, before he gets to the kenosis hymn, I think is actually gets to the heart of what it is we're talking about. Because um, he quotes the hymn in a, he quotes the hymn in in context of of trying to again trying to teach the Philippians what it means to be a church. But this is how he starts off, and this gets into what we're talking about. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, right, any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. So he's listing things that are experienced, that are coming from the spirit of God and being united with Christ. So he's talking about an experience of Jesus Christ, the living Christ among us. He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and of one in mind. And then he says this, and we've already talked about this, but he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. That activity of looking out for other people and looking out for other interests and valuing other people, that activity is a way that we empty ourselves and prepare ourselves to have that experience of Jesus Christ. Then he quotes the hymn and goes on to say this right after the hymn he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's no other way to talk about that than to work out your relationship with Jesus Christ with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This gets back to something that I was I said to the Sunday school class and that has constantly come up as I've reflected on this passage is I have made that relationship with Christ and and that kind of image of Christ or mind of Christ or image of God I've made that something that I have tried to do myself I've tried to reach out and grab and really what Paul's saying here and what we what we're hearing I think from Philippians here is that it has to be something that comes after I've I've stopped trying to grab onto it 
and I've just got out in the way. I've emptied myself, and I empty myself by serving other people and thinking of others as more highly than myself, more valuable than myself. That's how I work out that salvation with fear and trembling. Chances are that having the mind of Christ, ultimately being formed in the image of God, means that you will have to go through something uncomfortable. Yeah. It means that you're going to have to change, right? I don't already have the entire mind of Christ. Right, right. So to get there, it means something that I think, something in my mind, myself, is not right. Mm -hmm. Something important to you too, probably. Yeah. And so I have to be willing to admit, like, that's something I need to let go of. That's something that I need to get rid of. That's something that I need to change. It's it's something that has to die, right? I mean, that's what we're ultimately talking about here. Mm. To get back to Jesus, you know, deny yourself, take up the cross, follow me. If you really want Jesus to live, (laughs) then you have to die. There's a... um that reminds me of something that Brene Brown said one time that I've forgotten about up until this moment, but I, I really loved it. She was talking about um, faith being a midwife um, that just that says push, right? That stands there and holds your hand and says push. Like, And so often we experience religion as, um, you know, more like a... Like it's it's not the midwife. It's you know it, it it doesn't look like that. And the the thing that she says that I love so much is there's not enough. So often in church, there's not enough blood on the floor to make sense of it all, right? This idea that like exactly what you're saying, like you have to go through something. Something has to die, which means there's going to be grief. There's going to be metaphorical blood on the floor. Like it's gonna it's gonna be really hard. And faith is the midwife standing there saying push, right? It's not it's not the epidural. You know, that just makes mm. it go away. And mm. that's what we want it to be so often. That's good. That's really and, good. And I love that. And I think that that speaks to kind of this, the struggle that I'm having is like, there's got to be blood on the floor. Like, we've got to talk about that. We've got to talk about how hard it is. We've got to talk about that struggle in whatever it is, because this stuff is hard. It doesn't just happen. It's not just easy, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're really going to be created in the image of God, this <laughs> advent, <Yeah. laughs> then you're going to have to empty yourself. You're going to have to die in some area of your life because what you're doing right now is not exactly the image of God. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But you got to be honest about it, right? Yeah, you do. And, yeah. and, that's, and that's when you start creating the community that Paul's asking yeah. the Philippians yeah. to create. He's saying, if there's anything, if you've experienced Jesus at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Then this is where we're going. That's good. And it's something that, you know, it, just uh, as a way to kind of finish up and have a final thought, it's been a really good talk. Um, this is not something we do alone. It's not something we do alone. Yeah. It's something we do together community. as a community. So when the world is out there singing jingle bells and and practicing Harry Potter Advent calendars, the real work of Advent is the work of faith and it's not always easy in fact it hardly ever is and it does mean you have to die uh in order for jesus to be born in your life you have to die and that's um that's a heavy word but it's one that i think we as the church have been called to to shine and take to the world merry christmas and to all a good night (laughs) and to all a good night (laughs) 
<laughs> well, Jeff, thank you so much uh, for being here. Do you have anything else that you want to say to the people out there? I knew you were going to ask me for a closing thought, and I was I was walking up the stairs, climbing from the second floor, as you say, <laughs> thinking, being nervous. And, uh, you know, oftentimes here at Northside, we say there's a place for you to know the love of God, for you to have the mind of Christ. Oh, there you go. Oh, it is, yes. I like that. Go. That's really good. Um, well, thank you for joining us today, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here as well. Thanks and for listening to my struggle. Absolutely. That's what we're here for. And uh, we'll uh, see you guys next week. Peace. Peace.